It is indeed a privilege to preach the Word of God. And it's not as though I'm going to say it is a privilege for you to hear me. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a privilege for you to hear the Word of God. Not me, the speaker, but the Word itself. Let's ask one more time for the Lord's assistance as we open the Word. Holy Father, we ask now that you would be with your people. Jesus Christ, we address you asking that you would break the bread of life to us. We want to thank you for dying for our sins. Holy Spirit, move our hearts. May we see Christ. May we honor the Father. We pray these things as simple requests because they are the greatest needs of our lives at this time. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. 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 One of the greatest things I want to impress upon you this morning is the beauty and the value of the Word of God. But the passage we've chosen many times is used in the Scriptures as a proof that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. But many times it isn't used as a passage to, to relate to us. And so, hopefully, this will be accomplished today. This is what I want you to take home with you today. This is the doctrine. This is the teaching. If you seek the truth in the Scriptures, and there's some caveats here, you must seek with a true heart. If you seek the truth in the Scriptures, and that is this, the truth of who Christ is, and the truth of his gospel, there is a promise given to you. A promise that will not be broken because the Lord is not one who lies. And the promise is this, you seek and you shall find. Amen. There is a promise that we can tell everyone, you seek with a true heart and you will find. You will be among the people that can be said, as we read in the scriptures, among those of the twelve, among those who are the seventy-two sent out, among those 120 in the upper room, among those in our congregation, you indeed will be one that can say with your heart, the Lord is risen indeed. Yes. He's risen indeed. And he has led captivity captive. Mm. And we are being raised to newness of life, mm. to walk with our Christ, not only in this present evil world, but will one day be presented to God in heaven. Yes, amen. So, when reading this passage of Scripture, I have a brief introduction to it. What can we learn about the Lord's resurrection? There's much to be learned, much that we can get. And I've noticed in my reading that many times a, a commentator will take many of the parts before this section and the parts after this section and have a lot to say about it, because they're very important, very good sections of Scripture. But they seem to look at this passage about the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, and they say, and this is another proof that the Lord was risen from the dead, because they have witnessed him. They met him. But they did not say a whole lot about it. But to be truthful, I have always identified with these, with these two guys. I have found myself in their shoes walking and making my own observations and somehow never coming to the right conclusions, never coming to understanding with my own power, with my own thinking, and yet, it, and yet somehow God comes to me. How? He comes in the Word. He doesn't just meet me on the way and say, hey, I'm, you know, I want to talk to you. But it's always someone 
with the Word of God. And then the Word of God being presented by the Holy Spirit, changing my thinking, changing what? Changing how I feel about it. Now, feelings are very important, but I don't decide what to believe by how I feel. I decide about the truth, and then the truth makes me feel a certain way. Right. Notice how at the end it said, did not our hearts burn within us? Mm -hmm. They burned within us about the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we can learn some things about this. It shows that our Lord walked with them and gave them a rebuke, O slow of heart. But don't think of this as a rebuke, as a harshness. Think of it as a rebuke that would say, oh, you're just slow. Listen to his voice in a gentle way where he, in a painstaking way, walked with you step by step to show you where you've gone wrong. We have to understand ourselves that we have clearly seen the truth and we have rejected it. Men have a way of suppressing the truth. But the Lord is kind and he is patient and he will come and show us what the truth really is and how it impacts us. We're going to take a look briefly at the means of grace. That is, the Lord, I have already said, he abounds toward us. The way the Lord comes to us. And if you don't know what the word means, you may have heard on the news how Congress has their Ways and Means Committee. In other words, they pass a law. They say we need to have money to make this law work. And so we have a committee of people that they find out a way to get it done or the means to get it done. And how does God give us the grace? Where he has his own means. He has his own ways. And what are the means? The truth. The scriptures applied by the Holy Spirit. These are the foundational things that God has said. Listen to the word of God. And notice at the end, it was in the breaking of bread. Now I know that that's in, uh, you know, they're eating a meal. But that in and of itself, Christ being the bread of life, when the truth was presented to them, they understood that the Lord was indeed alive. Amen. And that their eyes were opened. Opened by the power of the Holy Spirit by Christ himself. Amen. And that is still done today. Yes. Still done today. Still uh, done within us. Amen. So let's go to these verses. We'll read them one at a time and see what we can gain from them. In Luke 24, 20, verses 13 and 14, we'll read those two verses together. The very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And so we see here after the time of the uh, feast in, in Jerusalem, after the Passover was accomplished, people were going back to their homes, and there were two disciples that were on their way. And as they walked, it's a, it's, a, it's a casual walk. They only had to walk seven miles, but I'm sure today it's just a wee stretch of the legs, isn't it? You know, whenever I hear that phrase, I know I better get in shape. I, I can't walk seven miles, but I'll tell you what, it was pretty normal for them. But as they walked, notice that their minds were completely occupied. Their minds were filled with what had just happened in the past few days. They could not think or speak of anything else of all those things that had happened to them. Now, we're not too sure exactly who these disciples were. One of them is actually named Cleopas. It's believed that he was actually uh, the brother of Joseph, that is, the earthly father of, of the Lord Jesus. And uh, I, don't have, I see no reason why that would be a problem. I'm sure that might be true. We don't know what the, who the name of the other disciple is. 
And frankly, that's the guy I identify with all the time. You know, that guy no one knows. And yet he is there. He is listening, trying to understand. And I hope that you can identify with him also. These two were talking of things, and we can understand that they were hopeful that the Lord Jesus was the Christ. They had this hope. But somehow, they had their hopes dashed because they were walking and considering all the things that have happened, and they were sad. They were saddened by what they were able to see. That's the problem here. The very same day that the Lord rose from the dead, they were still unsure of who the Lord Jesus was. Even today, on Easter, people hunt for Easter eggs. People talk about bunnies. People talk about all types of dresses, all types of things. But somehow, the greatest event of all history has slipped by them. Oh, if you have not understood, if you have not considered the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have reason to be sad. You have reason to have some of your thoughts preoccupied with who this Jesus Christ was. Let's read verses 15 and 16 now. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. You know, many times we walk in this life and Christ is with us, but we are unaware of it. We have our own hearts occupied and preoccupied with the things that we've misunderstood and we have sad lives living in quiet desperation, unaware of the hope and the power of the person who is with us and is there quietly and secretly loving you, guarding you. Remember the apocalyptic vision that we've been going through? I normally preach on on the apocalypse uh, the, uh, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. But today, of course, is the day that we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. But if you recall, during the first apocalyptic vision in the revelation of Jesus Christ, that John saw the Lord Jesus walk among his churches. And all of his churches, no matter what kind of church, no matter what age it is, God in Christ, walking among his people, looking into their eyes, looking into their hearts, understanding their pain, understanding their doubts. And he loves them. And he gently rebukes them, bringing them back to the truth. The risen Christ is here seeing, attaching himself to two disciples who have been saddened by not understanding the events that they were eyewitnesses to. Events that prophets have longed to see. Christ being predicted, being prophesied that he would come. But they did not know that he would come as a suffering servant to pay for sins. They thought that he would come and restore Israel to a new glory. That he would redeem them from being oppressed by Gentiles. That they would once again become a, a power in the world. But instead... The one they thought might be the Christ was betrayed, was killed by his enemies, and even now the government reigns over them. And now they walk home sad. But Christ always comes to his people, always is there, walking among us. He is now there, helping us with our frailties, with our flesh. And he is saddened that we are sad, but 
he is going to do something about it. He is still with us today. We may not be able at times to perceive how close he is and how near he is to us, but he is a one that will stick closer than a brother. He knows us better than ourselves, and many times the questions he asks us are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. Right. And so his methods are always good. His ways are always good, especially when he comes to us asking the questions that we should be asking ourselves. Let's go to the next verse, verse number 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Now in the King James Version it says, And why are you so sad? Why the long face? Why are you so sad? Now, we're, there are several things that we can learn from this, and we'll just mention them as we go on. One thing that we can see here, that though the Lord may appear as though he doesn't understand what they're sad about, what do you think? Do you think he knows? Do you think he perceives? Do you think he's empathetic toward them? Do you think he's concerned about them? Do you think he's actually doing something to engage with their problem? Of course he is. He knows how we feel. He knows and he comes to meet our needs, not our fleshly desires, not what we thought was going to happen, not what we thought is true, because many times we look back at our own lives and we said, you know, my life didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Where is that white picket fence? And where is that, that lovely home and all my obedient children and, and that great job and everything about it? And our lives turn to mush and we say, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I expected. And yet the Lord comes quietly, maybe by a friend, maybe by just your own meditation, but someone says, why are you so sad? What has happened to you? What has happened to your life that you should be so downcast, and yet you have witnessed the greatest thing in all of history that even all the prophets have desired to look into? And the angels were just awestruck with what was going on and yet you're disappointed how is it be that you walk going to your home in such disappointment luke 24 18 then one of them named cleopas answered him are you the only visitor to visit jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days now i don't know if they would say it this way but this is the way i hear it said where in the world have you been? <laughs> Where have you been that all, everyone in Jerusalem were anticipating that Christ would come, remove the Roman burden off our shoulders, would take the corruption of our leadership away, and that they would rise up and redeem Israel, and we would once again take our place among the world, and the innocent will not be afflicted and oppressed. All these things. Do you see now, if you don't know what the word irony means, you're about to see a vivid illustration of what irony is. You see, he is asking the only one who truly knows what's going on, don't you know what's going on? He is the only one that truly knows. Everything within him says, I have you in the apple of my eye and I have died for your sins. And yet, he comes to our aid. 
He comes in the weakness of our flesh, knowing when we don't understand, why are you so sad? He asks the questions that you should be asking yourself, knowing that the Word of God provides those answers. And the Word made flesh, walked with them, approached them, joined with them. Are we not on our own journey? Do we not walk to the celestial city? And we walk around with our sad faces, knowing that we have eternal life in Christ. Let us live our lives little differently, knowing that we have facts that support an emotional outburst of joy. I'm not asking you to change what you believe to make you feel better. I'm saying take what you know to be true and feel better. Amen. Make yourselves understand the truth. Seek it out. The Lord asks them questions. Why not you ask yourself? Mm-hmm. Ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, where have you been? Well, what do you think you would have said? You think he said, well, I came from glory. I died for... No, he did not do that, did he? Now, we may have done that. If somebody asked us, well, where have you been? We say, all right, you want to know where I've been? And then you kind of unleash on them, don't you? But our Lord is, and he is patient. He understands. He comes quietly. He could have done that, but he did not. Why? Because he knows that when they have their eyes opened... The impact will have that greater amount of, 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 of impact upon them. Mm-hmm. Using my words over and over again. It'll, it'll have such an impact upon them that they'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. They will understand that Christ comes with patience and long-suffering. He is truly the only one that really understands. And he comes asking you questions that you should be asking yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, let's read the next passage of Scripture from verse 19 to verse 24. They all kind of go together. And he says to them, what things? Now, this is the Lord asking them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here he is teaching the Lord, telling him the Lord what they're talking about. We had hoped that he would have been the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. No doubt they heard the Lord teach about what might happen on the third day and what, he would, and what they should anticipate. They thought perhaps they would be redeemed. That is, be lifted up above the Romans, above their corrupt leadership. Moreover, the women, some women of our company, amazed us. They amazed us in that they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. And they came back that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that they were alive. But you know what? We went and we didn't see him. We didn't see him. Now, don't be offended, women, but you know, that sounds a little bit like men just don't want to believe you. Now, you know, I wonder if somebody else had said it. I don't know. But I know this. Men have a way, and when I say men, I'm talking about the sons of Adam. That's what Adam, the word Adam means men. And so if you are a son of Adam, which are, no matter who you are, you're man. I'm not going to apologize for that. That's just what the scriptures teach us. But I'll say this. If you are men, if you are human beings, you have a tendency to not believe. Mm -hmm. You have that tendency to not believe. Mm -hmm. They have to see with their own eyes. Like a Thomas, let me feel the scar in your hand. But let me tell you another promise, a promise that is true. Blessed are they 
who have not seen and yet believe. You are in that position. You're in the position to receive the greater of those lessons, the greater. And remember, I've told you this before, when I was a young boy, I remember going to a Sunday school class and they told me all about the plagues of Egypt. And I said to myself, if I'd have seen those things, I would have believed. I wouldn't have been those kind of people that just murmured all the time. Well, that's what young children think. And yet when I lived my life, I found myself in their shoes. I murmured about the things of my life. I saw the judgments of God upon this world. I saw the truth, and yet I found myself walking on the road to Emmaus with a sad face, not understanding the things that surrounded me, not understanding how God rules this world. And yet it seems like he doesn't, but he does. My goodness, God is in rule, and God is in charge of this world. And so with that, we must understand that the Lord will search our hearts and he has a way of searching our hearts by using the scriptures, asking questions that we should be asking ourselves. And we should not base our answers upon our own worldly desires, but pray the way the Lord Jesus did. Remember what he said? If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please uh, let that happen. I, I don't want to endure this. However, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. If I must drink this cup, I will drink it. And so we ourselves are walking with Christ to the celestial city. And if they have hated him, they will hate you. If they have crucified him, they will persecute you. We must own his name. And so as we go on, we see the answer to what things. All the things that they had said. Let's go on to verse number 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now here we see, even though they believe that this stranger that they have never met, that they don't recognize, now these two are being rebuked. But I don't want you to hear this rebuke in a very harsh way. He didn't, I don't believe that the Lord yelled harshly at them, but he did say to them, with a heart that says, Oh, oh, you foolish ones. Why is your heart so slow to believe? So resistant to believe? The Lord is very kind to us in his rebukes, is he not? We may think he is not, but he truly is. I want you to consider how kind the Lord is in not rebuking us so sternly. But if you continue to resist, God will move heaven and earth to change your heart and your mind. Remember the lesson that we learned from the psalm, the fool has said in his heart, no. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The idea of denying that there is a God is not a mental issue. It is not a lack of intelligence. It is a foolish heart that does not want to believe. Do not ever think that God has given people a great gift by making them smart. Intelligence is not that great of a gift. Amen. It isn't. The new heart is the great gift. Amen. Even the simplest of understanding with the heart for God is great in the kingdom of God. Amen. And those who think they know more than God, the great and high-minded, high if they have a heart against God, 
They are nothing. They are nothing on the scales against God. The whole world fights against God and they are like the dust on the scales. But those who love God, they are mighty in power. Because the truth, it comes out of them like power. It is the truth. The love of the truth is the key. But you have to have the truth. The gospel must be preached. How, the, how can anyone hear unless they have the gospel be preached, unless these preachers be sent? But I'll tell you, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? By those who love God, by those who repent from their sin. See the beauty of the holiness of God. See that when he came, that he died for sinners. That is what is being presented here. They were slow to believe the word of God. Let's go on to verse number 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ... Now, you see how he's speaking in the third person? He hasn't revealed himself yet. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, I want to present to you another idea that theologians like to talk about a lot. I don't want to get too technical here, but he says, was it not necessary... You see, the word necessary is kind of important. It's used by theologians to imply that something must happen. Something must happen. If you have a situation that goes in this direction, then something must happen after that. Well, we have to be careful when we think about the Lord God who created all things, who is above all free and eternal, that we much would, would ever say to him, you must do this. We must be careful about saying what God must do. But I want you to, re to remember what our Lord's prayer was. If this cup can be taken away, I don't want to drink it, but thy will be done. And what was the answer? Drink the cup. There is a necessity here, but not out of necessity that someone cornered God and made him do something. The necessity springs from God's love to sinners to save them. When God decided to save sinners... It became necessary that his son die for them. It is the holiness of God. It was the righteousness of God. It was the justice of God that had to be satisfied. And who could do that? We are the unworthy ones and Christ is the worthy one. He was authenticated. He was given the flesh of Adam, died, and he was authorized to come and perform that work. But the authentication comes in, he rose from the dead, saying this, I have accepted the sacrifice, and it is proven that he is worthy, and he could not be kept by death. Amen. Authentication, authentication, authorization, authentication. Mm -hmm. That's why he can break those seals. That's why he, in the apocalypse, can say, I break the seals, and it happens. He is the one who sits on the throne, and he is the one who is able to say, I must needs go to Jerusalem, must needs, the necessity. I must do this. Let me tell you something. We think we can do anything we want, but the problem is, is that is our problem. Doing what you want, doing what the flesh wants, is what the Spirit is there to prevent. All their misunderstandings, oh Lord, help us. Help us to understand, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Allow me to say no to my flesh. Allow me to say no to myself. We must be able to believe the truth when we have the heart that loves what is right. And then we must use that to take courage. 
Oh, the Lord has risen indeed, has he not? He is risen indeed, and therefore take courage, congregation. Take courage, people of God. Take courage. Verses 28 and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as though he would, have go, he would be going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. Imagine these men. They were walking with a stranger, didn't know who he was, never met him before, that, 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 that they know of. And yet this man rebuked him. And why did, why did they become such close friends? Why did they become so close-knit together? Because he spoke to them about the Word of God. There is a closeness of fellowship among Christians. We need each other to have fellowship. We need to have iron sharpening iron. We need to have the doctrines of God spoken at our dinner tables, at our families, in our congregations. We need to have this. And when you have that, people join themselves with each other. They love each other. Thank you for rebuking me. Thank you for saying this. Thank you for being... The, the blows of a, of a friend is good, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Yes. We love each other. We say good things to each other, but good things sometimes are harsh things. The main idea we want here is that the means of grace can be quickly seen that they urged Christ to be with them. Even though they did not know this was the Christ, you had the words of truth, and they recognized the truth. And the truth went and attached itself to his people. Mm -hmm. Oh, come and teach me the word again. Mm -hmm. Come and comfort me. May we now, right now, as we would say, I, my life is far spent. Or help me, help me, Lord. Find friends that know the word. Find friends that would say to you, the word of God says this to you. And you will attach themselves. Your heart will burn within you when the truth is able to change your heart and lives. These two disciples remind me many times of myself when I just are, I'm just unable to come to the right conclusion, and yet someone else comes to me, points something out to me, shows me the truth of the Scriptures. We must value the friendship of saints. We must at many times understand and seek out the friends of, uh, uh, of grace, you know, that, of, of the gospel, because these are the means of grace, because they carry the Word of God. Many times... This fellowship must be sought out. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come and meet on the Lord's day. So my earnest prayer is this. We need to learn that Christ walks among his people, that he does walk with us. And we must urge him, urge him to stay, urge him to, to take our hearts and rebuke us, to train us, to teach us. Let's go on to verse 30 and 31. When he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed and broken and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. What a wonderful image this is to understand. Now, many commentators, when I read this, they said, we want to show you just how important the Lord's table is. Well, I know that the Lord's table is important. It shows us the blood, that the body of Christ was broken for us, that the blood of Christ was spilled for us. Mm -hmm. But there's something even more important, and that is the truth that it represents. The very actions that was here is to teach us this, that the truth will set you free, and the gospel is very important, and that representation of the Lord's Supper, or the representation of the bread of life, is that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, buried, 
and was raised for your justification. Yes. And these are the words of life. Mm -hmm. Do not leave here today without having your heart settled mm -hmm. and knowing that God is a saving God, mm -hmm. a God who saves sinners from their sin. Know that the means of grace is the truth of the gospel. It must be communicated to you in some way. Perhaps you read it. Perhaps you hear it. Perhaps you will, 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 will seek it out yourself. But I know where you're going to find it. In the Word of God. In the Bible. That's yes. your place where the Word of God is. That's your place where the truth is. Mm -hmm. The truth of the Word of God must be cherished with our understanding. It is the well source of where our promises come from. Where the truth comes from. We need it. To mature in Christ. It is in the breaking of bread that Christ was revealed. Let's go on to the last verse. Verse number 32. They said to them each other. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road. While he opened to us the scriptures. This we need to make one of our major goals in our lives. We need to have proper and appropriate goals in our lives. You need to have something and say, I want my life to achieve this. I want to have this done. And many times, if you look at your life, it's not the white picket fence. It's not that picture perfect, you know, picture perfect idea of what your perfect life is. You have to put that away and see what God says. Not my will, but thine be done. See what God wants done in your life. You must have the appropriate goals. And the only way that you can achieve that is to make one of those goals to understand the Word of God, to seek it out, seek it with your whole heart. If you do not seek it with your whole heart, why do you think you'll find it? But I'm telling you this, it is promised that if you seek, you're going to find. You're going to find. He says, I want it right now. You'll be taught patience. I want the deep things. You'll be taught that God gives you sufficiently. You may have to say, I don't understand, but I still trust Him. Amen. I don't understand every I don't understand a lot of things, mm -hmm. but I still trust Him. Mm -hmm. We are ones who must live by faith. Be, be kind to our God in our hearts and thoughts. Okay? He's been kind to us. Mm -hmm. Let's go to verses 33 to 35. And they arose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and appeared to Simon. You see, now the two, the two on the road to Emmaus did not say that. They went and found the disciples and the disciples told them, We have saw that the Lord has risen. Simon has saw him. And they said, You know what? We saw him too. We were on the road and he drew near to us. And our hearts burned within us when we heard the truth. And it was in the breaking of bread that the scales fell from our eyes. Now we say, well, how did that happen? I don't know. Maybe he looked different when he was risen from the dead. But I do know this. In the breaking of bread, which is symbolic of the idea that they exchanged their understanding of the word of God. And Christ was kind and patient to them and gave them the truth. And now they can say, Oh, the Lord is risen indeed. And what do we carry away from that? Why should we be so joyful that the Lord is risen indeed? And that is this. If he rose from the dead, we shall rise with him. Amen. We shall be in the presence of God. God has saved us from this present evil world and given us good reason to have a heart 
that can endure to the very end. And so this one small application, let me ask you this one simple question. Do you believe or do you want to believe? Do you? Do you believe or do you want to believe? Are you uncertain about the resurrection of Christ? I answer this. Seek and you will find. Open your heart by asking yourself, what has kept me from going to God? Repentance from your sin. Trusting in Christ. What has kept that from you? Ask yourself that. And one day, in the future, should you seek with your whole heart, you'll look back at this time and say, I asked myself that, but you know what? I found out that it was God asking me that. One day you'll say, I made a decision. But you'll look back and say, God changed my heart. He changed my mind. God had mercy upon me. God came down and saved me. This is the time. If you with a true heart seek the truth of the scriptures, the truth of who Christ really is, and the truth of his gospel, I'm telling you, without any doubt in my mind, the truth will be revealed to you. I'm telling you, the Lord is risen indeed. Seek him out while he may be found. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we now ask you that you would, by your Spirit, open the hearts of your people. Continue to walk with us as we walk on this celestial road to that city where you are there and we may be in your presence by the virtue and merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will stand there wearing his own righteousness. We are unworthy, but he is worthy. And so, Father, we ask now, may this day be a blessing to you. Be with all your churches everywhere that preach your gospel. May Christ be lifted up. May sinners be saved. Give us this grace, we pray in our Lord's name. Amen.